welcome back. Well, we've actually got a new theme. We haven't reinvented ourselves because it's still Grace and Lydia, but yes, we've rejigged the place up. We've we've yeah. moved on to cults now. Something I'm very passionate about because mm. obviously there's conspiracy theories surrounding all of them. But like um, we also, I know we said it in the last episode that wasn't published because of technical issues. Um, we decided to stick with sort of like conspiracies and true crime for now, haven't we? Oh yeah, we did mention that, didn't we? we basically, we kind of when we first started this, we had all these ideas to talk about like suicide, depression, like mental health, like all these other things. But like, mm. we're not professionals, and we kind of think it's it's maybe in bad taste to talk about yeah. things like that when we actually aren't professionals. Because even if you're just talking about your own story, it'll still it might still trigger someone else. Like, so we're gonna stick with what we know, which is specifically. Death. True crime for Lydia and conspiracy <laughs> for me. Yes, <laughs> a little right. bit of an escapism. Everyone loves Today that. We are talking about Jonestown. Yes, which is, I mean, there's a whole lot of shit to this one. I thought like I didn't initially I like know the name. It's gonna be like name. John Bonet, like you know. Yeah. When there's so much fucking info. Yeah, it takes us like three hours to record it because there's just so much to unpack. Like, mm. but. I think that's why I struggled with this research, the little that I did, because there is just so much into it. Like, well, I think the thing, the thing that's really interesting for me as well is when you actually look into what happened. Majority of the thing, the things that happened were within the space of about four or five days. Yeah. So, yeah. like, it kind of, Jonestown, like, was, it was kind of under the radar, no, like, no one really gave a shit about it, everyone kind of thought that might be a bit dodgy, no one really cared for years, blah, 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 and then suddenly... Yeah, there were a few news articles, but nothing too major. From the 14th of November to, like, the 18th, or whatever it was, the 19th, it just exploded, and this whole fucking massacre happened. Yeah. Uh, yeah, very And it was a massacre, guys. Not a mass suicide, whatever anyone tries to tell you. Well, we will get into that, Just actually. Lydia's opinions coming out in the first ten minutes. Lydia 101. <laughs> I've solved it! <laughs> I've cracked the case. Okay. Shall we jump in? Uh, yeah, you can. By the late 1960s, America had erupted into violence and civil unrest. The war in Vietnam, civil rights marches, and assassinations played out on television. Out of this turmoil, thousands of Americans flocked to hear the sermons of a charismatic young pastor named Jim Jones. Jones's early speeches were a mixture of socialist views and Christian redemption. As his popularity grew, Jim Jones preached... Alright, sorry. I feel like we have to call him Jim Jones throughout the... Do you know what I mean? Like, he's not just Jim, and you just can't call him Jones. No, you can't call him Jim. No fucking way. Can you exactly. Say. That's rude, if anything. <laughs> it's Father Jones. Oh, fuck off. <laughs> <laughs> As his popularity grew, Jim Jones preached less about the Bible and more about social activism. He preached against racism, and his integrated congregation attracted many African Americans. He called himself a prophet, a, sa- a saviour. Oh, fucking hell. I thought it was going to be like, he called himself a prophet, a saviour, and something else. But no. He called himself a prophet, a saviour who would guide and protect his followers. Jim Jones was born in 1931 in Indiana. His father was a World War II veteran, who Jones claimed was associated with the Ku Klux Klan, something which had become very popular during the Depression in Indiana. During his childhood and teen years, Jones studied the work of people like Stalin, Marx, Mao, Gandhi and Hitler. Like, how are you putting Gandhi and Hitler in the same sentence? Sorry. Oh my god, someone told me the other day that Hitler was a vegetarian, and I looked at them and I was like, wow, that changes my view on him massively. <laughs> what? Oh, I can me? relate to him so much. Yeah. Wow, do you know what? Suddenly I forgive him for everything he did. <laughs> what? Why do I need to know that information? <laughs> Isn't it? Why are you telling me that? Like, it's because I think I said, like, yeah, I'm vegetarian. They were like, well, did you know Hitler's vegetarian? Oh, thanks. Why? I can really see the comparisons between me and Hitler. Why, is, why is that a fact that they, like, remember and store in their brain? <laughs> <You> know, how, <laughs> how would you even know that? Why are you storing any facts about Hitler's diet in your brain? 
I should have said, like, yeah, he also fled to Argentina and survived, yeah. but I mean. Childhood friends describe him as being a really weird kid who is obsessed with religion and death. One childhood friend, Chuck Wilmore, remembers a friend of his telling him that he saw Jim kill a cat with a knife, while others claim that he used to perform experiments on animals and conduct funerals for them. I mean... Jim's personality is described as having traits such as the incessant need to control people and anger towards anyone who could betray him or abandon him. Someone got daddy issues. (laughs) Just saying... The People's Temple was formed in Indiana in 1955. The temple preached that those who remained drugged with the opiates of religion had to be brought to enlightenment. Socialism. The church... (laughs) Sorry, it's just like, (laughs) socialism. (laughs) Opiate of religion. Hmm, That sounds nice. (laughs) The church stood out um, for its multiracial membership, which was quite revolutionary for a time of racial segregation. Jones's idiosyncratic blend of evangelical Christianity, New Age spirituality, spirituality, <laughs> thank you, what's wrong with me, and radical social justice attracted an enthusiastic following. In the early 1960s, Jones visited Guyana, then a British colony, while on his way to establish a short-lived temple mission in Brazil. After Jones received considerable criticism in Indiana for his integrationist views, the temple moved to Redwood Valley, California. In the early 1970s, the temple opened other branches in LA, San Francisco, and then would eventually move its headquarters to San Francisco. Within the move to San Francisco came increase in political involvement by the temple and the high levels of approval they received from the local government. Unlike many other figures who are considered cult leaders, Jones enjoyed public support and contact with some of the highest level politicians in the United States. In the fall of 1973, after critical newspaper articles by Lester Kinsolving and the defection of eight temple members, Jones and the temple attorney Tim Stone prepared an immediate action contingency plan for responding to a police or media crackdown. Now, remember Tim Stone? Mm Mm-hmm. Because he actually also defects. Yeah. Eventually, he's and the one he with the little boy, back. isn't he? He's very important. He comes back. Yeah. Okay. In October 1973, the directors of the temple passed a resolution to establish an agricultural mission in Guyana. The temple chose Guyana in part because of the group's own socialist politics, which were moving further to the left during the selection process. Former temple member Tim Carter stated that the reasons for choosing Guyana were the temple's views of a perceived dominance of racism and multinational corporations in the US. According to Carter, the temple concluded that Guyana, an English-speaking, socialist country with a predominantly indigenous population and with a government including prominent black leaders, would afford black temple members a peaceful place to live. Jones also thought that Guyana was small, poor and independent enough for him to easily obtain influence and official protection. I mean, it's like cult leader 101. Yeah, it's yeah. Like, you are powerless yeah, enough. Yeah, you, for got, me to you gotta go somewhere you. I can overpower these fuckwits. And yeah, it's in. Well, actually, I'm literally about to say it. Um, in 1974, after travelling to an area of northwestern Guyana with Guyanese officials, Jones and the Temple negotiated a lease of over 3,800 acres of land in the jungle located 150 miles west of the Guyanese capital of Georgetown and the nearest body of water was seven miles away. So very isolated. Wow. How did they get fresh water? Essentially, you can't leave. Yeah. You, you, yeah. And how are you going to get any resources and all the rest of it? Um, as 500 members began the construction of Jonestown, the temple encouraged more to relocate to the settlement. Jones saw Jonestown as both a socialist paradise and a sanctuary for media scrutiny. Jonestown was held up as a benevolent communist community, with Jones stating, I believe we are the purest communists there are. Jones's wife, Marceline, described Jonestown as dedicated to live for socialism, total economic and racial and social equality. We are here living communally. Jones did not permit members to leave Jonestown without his express prior permission. And if you left, you died. 
Maybe not, but... You didn't die, but it was pretty fucking You would beat the shit out of... In the summer of 1977, Jones and several hundred Temple members moved to Jonestown to escape the building pressure from San Francisco media investigations. Jones left the same night that an editor at the New West magazine read him an article to be published detailing the allegations of abuse by former Temple members. After the mass migration, Jonestown became overcrowded. Jonestown's population was slightly under 900 at its peak in 1978. Many members of the temple believe that Guyana, is that how you say it? Yeah, Guyana. Guyana. Believe that Guyana would be, as Jones promised, a paradise or a utopia. After Jones arrived, however, Jonestown life significantly significantly changed. There we go. Entertaining movies from Georgetown that the settlers had watched were mostly cancelled in favour of the Soviet propaganda shorts and documentaries on the American social platforms. Bureaucratic requirements after Jones arrived sapped labour resources for other needs. Buildings fell into despair and, and weeds encroached on fields. For the first several months, Temple members worked six days a week, approximately 6.30am to 6pm, with just an hour for lunch. In mid-1978, after Jones's health deteriorated and his wife began managing more of Jonestown's operations, the work week was reduced to eight hours a day for five days a week. After the day's work ended, Temple members would attend several hours of activities in the pavilion, including classes in socialism. Like, I'm not being funny, but if you've just done an eight hours day in that heat, you're not going to want to sit for hours and hours learning about fucking socialism. Um, like, I want to go to bed. Yeah, I was just about to say, I'd want to just get into bed. Yeah, like, that's just as much work as labour. So we think, so what's 6.30 to 6, what's that, 12 hours? About 12 hours? Just 11 hours. That's like most of my fucking working days, to be fair. That's not massive. Jones compared this schedule to North Korean system of eight hours of daily work followed by eight hours of study. Well, it just fucking tells you everything then, doesn't Korea, it? Korea, the perfect country to model your <laughs> academic and work system on. Thank you. Let's all join in. <laughs> Let's all be like Korea, because they are doing just so fucking well. <laughs> They're not paranoid at all. They're doing great. You're doing great, sweetie. <laughs> Although Jonestown contained no dedicated prison and no form of capital punishment, various forms of punishment were used against members considered to have serious disciplinary. Methods include imprisonment in a plywood box, what, like a coffin? Yeah. Oh. And forcing children to spend the night at the bottom of a well. Sometimes upside down. Oh my god. (laughs) I the didn't know this. Box thing makes me think of Friends, where Chandler makes Joey go in the box. <laughs> I mean, you shouldn't laugh about it, but I just still love Friends so much. This, along with beatings, became the subject of rumour among the local Guyanese. For some members who attempted to escape drugs such as Thorazine, Thorazine? and Valium, yeah, and Valium were administered in an extended care unit quotation marks it wasn't a care unit at all he cared so much though yeah armed guards patrolled the area day and night to enforce jonestown's you watch the documentary that's on youtube some of them some people said like as soon as they got there they wanted to go yeah yeah it was literally like a labor camp for a year it appears the commune was run primarily through social security checks received by members up to $65,000 in monthly welfare payments from the U.S. government agencies to Jonestown residents were signed over to the temple. In 1978, officials from the U.S. Embassy in Georgetown interviewed Social Security recipients on multiple occasions to make sure they were not being held against their will. None of the 75 people were interviewed by the embassy stated that they were being held captive, were forced to sign their welfare checks over, or wanted to leave Jonestown. So... Let me introduce you to a little concept called White Knight Rehearsals. Jones made frequent addresses to Temple members regarding Jonestown's safety, including statements that the CIA 
and other intelligence agencies were conspiring to destroy the settlement. After work, when emergencies arose, the temple sometimes conducted what Jones referred to as White Knights. During these events, Jones would sometimes give the Jonestown members four options. Attempt to flee to the Soviet Union, commit revolutionary suicide, stay in Jonestown and fight the purported attackers, or flee into the jungle. I mean, I fancy myself as a jungle guy. Jones was known to regularly study Adolf Hitler and Father Divine to learn how to manipulate members of the cult. Divine told Jones personally to find an enemy and then make sure they know who the enemy is, as it will unify those in the group and make them subservient to him. I've got a bit of a thing about Father Divine. When he died, Jones went to like the location of his congregation, I don't know what they were. But um and he tried to like make out like he was Father Divine reincarnated so that he could get oh the members. Like, really? Yeah, yeah, and he was saying like how he's a prophet and all this and they have to listen to him and he Father Divine's soul is in him now and all that sort of stuff. Did people believe him? Probably. A couple a couple of people did. yeah, a couple of people went with him, but the majority stayed. Um, I think mm. Divine's wife was like, you're talking bullshit, matey. Imagine if she was like, oh my god, my husband. Yeah. Um, the temple had received monthly half-pound shipments of cyanide since 1976, after Jones obtained a jeweler's license to buy the chemical, purportedly to clean gold. In May 1978, a temple doctor wrote a memo to Jones asking permission to test cyanide on Jonestown's pigs, as their metabolism was close to that of human beings. Jones's health significantly declined in Jonestown. In 1978, Jones was informed of a possible lung infection. Snap, matey. <laughs> Imagine you, you just decide to start a cult because you have a lung infection. <laughs> And you start being like Hitler because he's a vegetarian. Oh my god! We would rule the world! <laughs> Literally, no one would be able to stop us. <laughs> which, upon which he announced to his followers that he, in fact, had lung can- cancer. And you thought I was a hypochondriac, okay? <laughs> Probably actually convinced yourself he had lung cancer, though. This guy was fucking mental. True. A ploy to foster sympathy and strength and the support within the community. Jones was said to be abusing injectable Valium Quaaludes? I think it's pronounced Quaaludes, yeah Quaaludes? Yeah Quaaludes and stimulants Jones often mentioned chronic insomnia. He would often say that he went three or four days without any rest. During meetings and public addresses, his once sharp speaking voice often sounded slurred Words ran together and were tripped over. Jones would occasionally not finish sentences even when he was reading typed reports over the commune's PA system. In late 1977 and early 1978, Tim and Grace Stone, past members of People Temple, do we all remember Tim Stone? Yep, the lawyer. I told you to remember him. Participated in meetings with other relatives of Jonestown residents at the home of Jenny Mills, another temple defector. Together they called themselves the Concerned Relatives. Tim Stone engaged in letter-writing campaigns to the US Secretary of State and the Guyanese government and travelled to Washington to attempt to begin an investigation. In January 1978, Stone wrote a white paper to Congress detailing his grievances and requesting that Congressman write to Prime Minister Burnham. Prime Minister Burnham is the Prime Minister of Guyana. Context. 91 congressmen wrote such letters, including Congressman Leo Ryan. Poor Leo. The good guy. Leo Ryan, who represented California's 11th congressional district, announced that he would visit Jonestown. On November 14th, Ryan flew to Jonestown along with the with a delegation that included... Oh, these are names. Aren't Lots of names. names. Okay. <laughs> Jackie Spear... Ryan's then legal advisor, Neville Anniborn. Anniborn? Yeah. Yeah. Representing Guyana's Ministry of Information, Richard Dyer, 
Let's just go with that. Deputy Chief of Mission of the U.S. Embassy in Guyana. San Francisco Examiner reporter Tim Reiterman. I think it's Reiterman, but yeah. Reiterman. He knows who he is. Uh It's okay. (laughs) Examiner... (laughs) Examiner photographer Greg Robinson. That's it. So that's an easy one. I feel there we like, go. giving you this section to read? It's literally all confusing <laughs> names. <laughs> we all know you can't fucking speak. So why have I told you to read this bit out? I was like, why have I, why have I started a podcast with you? I can't read out loud. <laughs> <laughs> it's been an issue since I was a child. Okay. NBC reporter Don Harris, NBC camera operator Bob Brown, NBC audio technician Steve Song, NBC producer Bob Flick, Washington Post reporter Charles Cruz, San Francisco Chronicle reporter Ron Havers. Yeah? Fuck nice. I'm guessing it's Havers. And concerned relative representatives, including Tim and Grace Stone, Steve and Anthony... Katsaris, <laughs> Beverly Oliver, Jim Cobb, Sherwin Harris, and Carolyn Houston Boyd. Got a double barrel in there somewhere. When the Ryan delegation arrived in Georgetown, Guyana, Lane and Gary, who are essentially Jim Jones's right-hand men, mm-hmm. refused to allow them access to Jonestown. So, just a little bit of context: you arrive at Georgetown, and it's how far away is it? I can't 150 remember. miles. We said it before. 150 miles from Jonestown. So to get to Jonestown, you have to get on a tiny little aeroplane and yeah. land at Port. But they had they had an office in Georgetown, didn't they? Yeah. Like so they arrive at the office thing. in Georgetown, and then they're refusing to let them in there. It's the 14th of November, and so they're staying in this house in Georgetown, around Georgetown. Mm-hmm. By the morning of November 17th, they informed Jones that Ryan would like likely leave for Jonestown that afternoon, regardless of whether or not Jones was going to let him in. So they've waited three days, and Ryan is saying, yeah. I'm going to go in, just to check that there are people waiting. being held above, yeah. against their will. Yeah. Ryan's party, accompanied by Lane and Gary, came to an airstrip at Port Katuma, six miles from Jonestown. Because of the aircraft seating limitations, only four of the concerned relatives were allowed to accompany the delegation on this flight to Jonestown. Only Ryan and three others were initially accepted into Jonestown, while the rest of the group um, were allowed after sunset. So they waited by the plane until sunset, and then they were invited in. And it's such I don't a know weird why. thing, though. Like it's just, it's just again, just like it's Jones is like it's playing games, a, isn't it? Yeah, control, isn't it? So that night of the seventeenth of November. They attended a musical reception in the settlement's main pavilion. While the party was received warmly, Jones said that he felt like a dying man and ranted about government conspiracies and martyrdom. It was later reported and verified by audio tapes that Jones had run rehearsals on how to convince Ryan's delegation that everyone was happy and in good spirits. Yeah, I saw that in the documentary. He lined everyone up, didn't he? And like got them to say what you're going to say if they ask this. If they ask you, yeah. What do people say is bad about Jonestown? You basically have to say nothing. Yeah. Everyone loves Jonestown, or they'll fucking. Two temple members, Vernon Gosney and Monica Bagby, made the first move for defection that night. In the pavilion, Gosney mistook Harris for Ryan. So Harris is. The person, wasn't he? Like the cameraman or something? Oh, the NBC reporter, yes. Yeah. So Gosney, one of the guys who's in Jonestown mistakes Harris for Ryan, the congressman, and passes him a note. All the note says is, Dear Congressman, Vernon Gosney and Monica Bagby, please help us get out of Jonestown. When journalists and members of the Concerned Relatives arrived later in Jonestown on November 18th, Marceline Jones, Jim Jones's wife, gave them a tour of the settlement. So everything was okay. He gave a note to the wrong guy, but it wasn't it didn't even matter. Yeah. Because he gave it to Ryan in the end. I mean, it's a tense situation anyway, isn't it? Like, And Ryan said, Ryan helped um, Gosney and Bagby get out anyway. So. Yeah. That afternoon, the Parks and Bogue families, along with in-laws Christopher O'Neill and Harold Cordell, stepped forward and asked to be escorted out of Jonestown by the Ryan delegation. When Jones's adopted son, Johnny, attempted to talk to Jerry Parks out of leaving, Parks told him, No way. This is nothing but a communist prison camp. Jones gave the two families, along with Gosney and Bagby, permission to leave. When Harris handed Gosney's note to Jones during an interview in the pavilion, 
Jones stated that the defectors were lying and wanted to destroy Jonestown. You know when you watch the documentary, his son talks a lot, but is that his actual son? He had like four sons, I think. Did he? But yeah, but the, all his sons, I think he had maybe like three or four, I'm not sure, um, went down to Guyana with him. While most of the Ryan delegation began to depart on a large dump truck to the to the port Katuma, Katuma airstrip, Ryan and Dyer stayed behind in Jonestown to process any additional defectors. Shortly before the dump truck left, Temple loyalist Larry Layton, the brother of De- Deborah Layton, demanded to join the group. Several defectors voiced their suspicions about Larry Layton's motives. The entourage had originally scheduled a 19-passenger plane to fly them back to Georgetown. Because of the defectors depart in Jonestown, the group grew in number and now an additional aircraft was required. Accordingly, the US Embassy arranged for a second plane. When the entourage reached the airstrip between 4.30 and 4.45pm, the planes had not appeared as scheduled. The group had to wait until the aircraft landed at approximately 5.10pm and then the boarding process began. Leighton was a passenger on the second plane. The first aircraft was set up for takeoff. After the plane had taxied to the far end of the airstrip, he produced a handgun and started shooting at the passengers. He wounded Bagby and Gosney, but was disarmed. Meanwhile, some passengers had boarded the larger plane, a tractor with a trailer attached, driven by members of the Temple Security Squad, arrived at the airstrip and approached the plane. When the tractor neared, the Red Brigade opened fire with shotguns, handguns and rifles, while at least two shooters circled the plane on foot. There were perhaps nine shooters, whose identities are not all certainly known. The first few seconds of the shooting were captured on an ENG video recorded by NBC cameraman Bob Brown. Brown was killed along with Robinson Harris and Temple director Patricia Parks in the few minutes of the shooting. Ryan was killed after being shot more than 20 times. They're fucking giving me these names again to say, aren't they? Fucking hell. <laughs> Jackie Spire, Sung Dyer, Wright Raterman... And Anthony Katsuris were among the nine injured in and around the plane. So they've all gone to look at Jonestown. Only like 15 people or something have said they want to come out of 900. And then they've all gone to leave and they've fucking been massacred. So we're going to pan off from that and go back to Jonestown. So, before leaving Jonestown for the airstrip, Ryan had told Gary that he would issue a report that would describe Jonestown in basically good terms. Ryan stated that none of the 60 relatives he had targeted for interviews wanted to leave, and the 14 defectors constituted a very small portion of Jonestown's residents. Any sense of imprisonment the defectors had was likely because of peer pressure and lack of physical transportation. And even if 200 out of 900 plus wanted to leave, I'd still say you have a very beautiful place here. Despite Gary's report, Jones told him, I have failed. Gary reiterated that Ryan would be making a positive report, but Jones maintained that all is lost. He was just looking for any excuse, wasn't he? I mean, I think he'd just, like, had enough. Yeah. After Ryan's departure from Jonestown towards Port Katuma, Marceline Jones made a broadcast on the public address system. She stated that everything was alright and asked residents to return to their homes. During this time, aides prepared a large metal tub with grape flavour aid, poisoned with Valium, chlorohydrate, cyanide and Finergan. About 30 minutes after Marceline Jones's announcement, Jim Jones then made his own one calling all members immediately to the pavilion. He um, announced White Night, didn't he? Yeah, and I think some people kind of knew what was going on. A few, There was one woman that like hid under her bed all night, wasn't there? Yeah. And like some people that ran... Well, some people down. say that she was asleep all night, but you don't just sleep under your bed. Like, There's no way you could have slept through that, because it says like, yeah. everyone was screaming. Yeah. A 44-minute cassette tape known as the Death Tape records parts of the meeting Jones called inside the pavilion in the early evening of November 18th, 1978. When the assembly gathered, referring to the Ryan delegation's air travel back to Georgetown, Jones told the gathering, One of those people on that plane is going to shoot the pilot, I know that. I didn't plan it, but I know it's going to happen. They're going to shoot that pilot, and down comes the plane into the jungle, and we had better not have any of our children left when it's over, because they'll parachute in here on us. Wow. 
On the tape, Jones urged Temple members to commit revolutionary suicide. Such an act had been planned by the Temple before, and according to Jonestown defectors, its theory was, you can either go down in history saying you chose your own way to go, and it is your commitment to refuse capitalism and in support of socialism. Just that whole, like, term, revolutionary suicide. You want to be a martyr? Yeah, like, for what? Yeah. You don't revolutionise anything. You're not being protesting against anything, like... Yeah, like, what? what is actually you fighting? After Jones confirmed that Congressman Ryan had died, no dissent was heard on the death tape. By this point, armed guards had taken up positions surrounding the pavilion area. Directly after this, Jones stated that the Red Brigade's the only one that made any sense anyway, and the Red Brigade showed them justice. So the Red Brigade are the people that went and killed Ryan and the other people on the plane. On the back of the tractor. ...for the process to go faster. From a vat, his people drank the cyanide lace punch, which birthed the phrase, drinking the Kool-Aid. Which I say all the time, not realising that it's probably offensive. I've never heard that phrase before. It refers to people who blindly follow something. Yeah. But it wasn't actually Kool-Aid that they drank, it was flavour aid, so. The poison caused death within five minutes for children, less for babies, and an estimated 20 to 30 minutes for adults. After consuming the poison, people were then escorted away down a wooden walkway leading outside the pavilion. It's not clear if some initially thought the exercise was another white night rehearsal. While the general view of what happened was a mass suicide because people lined up to take the poison drink, there have been arguments from witnesses and formal temple members that it was really mass murder. It should be noted that some victims were found to have marks on their bodies, suggesting they were injected with the poison. Adding to the mass murder argument is that numerous young children died in Joestown who couldn't possibly have known what they were doing. In response to reactions of seeing the poison take effect on others, Jones counselled, Die with a degree of dignity. Lay down your life with dignity. Don't lay down with tears and agony. He also stated, I tell you, I don't care how many screams you hear, and I don't care how many anguish cries. Death is a million times preferable to ten more days of this life. If you knew what was ahead of you, if you knew what was ahead of you, you'd be glad to be stepping over tonight. Oh, that is morbid. Sounds like there's only one person who wants to commit suicide there. I mean, it sounds like he's had enough. Um, he just doesn't so want to do it alone. With him. Yeah. One survivor described a scene of both hysteria and confusion as parents watched their children die from the poison. He also stated that most present quietly waited their own turn to die and that many of the assembled temple members walked around like they were in a trance. This crowd was surrounded by armed guards offering members the basic dilemma of death by poison or death by a guard's hand. Cries and screams of children and adults were easily heard on the tape recording made. Jones was found lying dead next to his chair in the pavilion between two other bodies, his head cushioned by a pillow. His death was caused by a single gunshot wound to his right temple. Which just but, shows you he can't even drink the poison himself. Someone else had to shoot him. Well, the thing is... People argue whether he shot the gun himself or not because his nurse had the same bullet wound, so they think that she shot him and then shot herself. Yeah, that just shows. So like he didn't even fall into suicide anyway. He was a coward. Yeah. In total, nine hundred and nine individuals died in Jonestown, all but two from cyanide poisoning, in an event termed revolutionary suicide. Terms used to describe the deaths in Jonestown and Georgetown evolved over time. In 1979, the House of Foreign Affairs Committee of the U.S. Congress issued a 782-page report in which it concluded that the Jonestown Massacre was a mass suicide, brought on by Jones's extreme paranoia. Jonestown resulted in the largest single loss of American civil life in a deliberate act until September 11, 2001. A lot of information to process. Have you seen the images? Yeah, they're not that nice. It's just horrendous. Three high-ranking Temple survivors claim that they were given an assignment and thereby escaped death. Jim Carter and his brother Mike, aged 30 and 20, and Mike Prokes, 31, were given a luggage containing 550,000 US dollars, 130,000 
Guyanese, I don't know what Guyanese currency is, so in Guyanese currency, and an envelope, which they were told to deliver to the Soviet embassy in Georgetown. The envelope contained two passports and three instructional letters. The first of which was to a Soviet embassy representative. <laughs> Just got to cut his name out. <laughs> Stating, Dear Comrade Timofeyev, following is a letter of instructions regarding all our assets that we want to leave to the Communist Party of the Union of Soviet Socialist Republics. Enclosed in this letter are letters which instruct the banks to send the cashier checks to you. I am doing this on behalf of the People's Temple because we as communists want our money to be of benefit for help to oppress people all over the world or in any way that your decision-making body sees fit. So just use it personal use then if you fancy it. Like, don't help anyone. Yeah. The letters included listed accounts with balances totaling an excess of 7.3 million to be transferred to the Communist Party of the Soviet Union. Interesting. At the airstrip, Rietman photographed the aftermath of the shootings. Dyer assumed leadership at the scene, and at his recommendation, Larry Layton was arrested by the Guyanese police. Dyer was grazed by the bullet in his buttocks during the shootings. Now, what is funny so about that? What is funny about that? that huh? no, I'm just thinking, like, you, that's like a... So f- you got off lightly. So Forrest Gump. I, was, I got shot in the buttocks. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I got you a cone. <laughs> what a film. Dyer was grazed by a, by a bullet in his bum during the shootings. It took several hours before the 11 wounded and others in their party gathered themselves together. Most of them spent the night in the Port Kaitama Cafe. The more seriously wounded slept in a small tent at the airstrip. Like, I still wouldn't feel safe. No, but what are she going to do? You're still in open area. Yeah. The Guyanese government plane arrived the following morning to evacuate the wounded. 912 of the 918 dead, including Jones himself, were collected by the US state military in Guyana, then transported by military cargo plane to Dover Air Force Base in Delaware. The last shipment of bodies arrived early morning of November 27th, 1978. The base's mortuary was tasked with fingerprinting, identifying and processing the bodies. The base's resources were overwhelmed and numerous individuals tasked with the moving or identifying the bodies suffered from symptoms of PTSD. I know a lot of people who um, visited the aftermath as well, you know, to collect the bodies. They had a lot, they came out with like trauma as well. So it wasn't at the air base. Yeah. With that heat as well, mm. like, and I think originally the US government requested the Guyanese to bury them there, but they refused because they didn't see it as their problem, like, and also the families wanted the bodies back, which I, I fully understand. Mm. Larry Layton, who had fired the gun at several people aboard the plane at Port Katima, was initially not found guilty of attempted murder in a Guyanese court, employing the defence that he was brainwashed. Acquittal in a Guyanese court did not free Leighton, who was promptly deported back to the US and arrested by the US Marshal Service upon arrival in San Francisco. Leighton could not be tried at the US for attempted murders of Gosney, Bagby, Dale Parks and the Kessner pilot on Guyanese soil and was instead tried under a federal statute against assassinating a member of the Congress and internationally protected people. He was convicted of conspiracy and of aiding and abetting the murder of Ryan and of the attempted murder of Dyer. Paroled in 2002, he was he is the only person ever to have been held criminally responsible for the events of Jonestown. I fucking googled him because I wanted to know what he's doing now and you can't find him, it's really annoying. No, he's probably like changed his name and everything. 18 years ago, that's a long time. Mm. He's been free for a long time. But also, it doesn't feel like a long time either. Well, I really feel like. Why didn't he get life? This happened in 1978. Say he got. I don't know. 22 years? Yeah, it's a long time. No, 24 years? He did get a long time. Yeah. Yeah, then that's because like a congressman died, isn't it? Mm. And they will have like 
if he's using the play of insanity essentially that will have gone in against him as well mm. or for him i don't know yeah definitely yeah so that is jonestown it's confusing it's it's confusing and it's not confusing in the same way do you know what I mean? Like, you know what happened, how it happened, but I still don't fully understand why it happened. Yeah, I think to ever understand that, like, yeah, you'd have to literally dive into the psychology of Jim Jones. Yeah, and I think you'd probably end up going crazy yourself. That's true. It would be like some Sigmund Freud type shit. Mm. It would be fun. So there are some conspiracies. Always. Do you want to hear them? Yes, please. Okay, so there are maybe two or three that I found quite interesting. This first one I've just read, though, is such a typical conspiracy for anything that has ever happened. Mm, Okay, it could also be totally true, so back off, okay? No, I haven't read the whole thing, but I've just seen CIA. Like, if in doubt, it's the CIA's fault. Well, remember, he was against the CIA, wasn't he? He, like, spoke openly about how the CIA were basically after them, so... Speculation yeah. that the CIA might have been involved in the massacre started in 1980 when reporter Jack Anderson published a syndicated article called CIA Involved in Jonestown Massacre. Very self-explanatory. I wonder what that's about. According to Anderson, Jim Jones himself was tied to the CIA and certainly there were oddities in his political background. Jones's father was a Klansman and Jones Jr. himself had been a virulent anti-communist before his conversion to utopianism in the mid-1960s. Was the CIA involved? Potentially. Because the other scenario, and listen to this, is advanced by this guy called John Judge in his book The Black Hole of Guyana. John Judge suggests that the People's Temple, from its very origin, was a CIA exercise in mind control. Judge points out that many of the drugs found at Jonestown match those used in MK Ultra. Uh, and in was Jones. I'm going to admit something here. Huh? I don't know what MK Ultra is. Oh my <laughs> fucking god! <gasps> I mean, I probably do, but it doesn't ring a bell. You do, you do. It's literally like the basis of Stranger Things 11. Where what, she. Like Area 51? Where she is. Do you know where she is? Yeah. Before she escapes. That is essentially MK Ultra. Okay. And MK Ultra is one of those very rare conspiracy theories that have been genuinely proved to be correct. Essentially So it's basically a program for gifted people. Apo- no, apolo- like I apologize if this is wrong or if I'm like butchering the explanation, but essentially MK Ultra is people who are taken or kidnapped and basically given drugs to see if they could be mind controlled. And to see if they could be given, like, these supernatural powers. Oh, I see, okay. But it's literally been proven, like, it literally happened. Okay. And it's fucked. And no one talks about it. (laughs) Like, the government are like, we don't know what you're fucking talking about, this never happened. But we're like, hello, it's right there. You know? That's fucked, we've got to talk about MKUltra. I can't believe that you don't know. Okay. (laughs) I was thinking maybe it's like a rapper or something. Oh my god! <laughs> I'm literally I'm so offended. No, but you know when like the first episode you were like, oh, we're gonna go into conspiracies about MK Ultra. I was like, is that like Machine Gun Kelly? <laughs> <laughs> so this guy called Michael Mears wrote this book called Was Jonestown a CIA Medical Experiment? And in that he also basically says that um, Jonestown was the site for the CIA's HIV and AIDS experiment. Which is controversial, because it was majority African-American. And I think that's where the original thing, the original, like, theory came from. Mm. As inappropriate as that is. I mean... But my question to you is, if Jonestown was simply a mass suicide and it is what it says on the tin, then why are 5,000 pages of this Foreign Affairs 1979 hearing still classified? Because we all know what happened a few years ago when they unclassified the JFK assassination files, and it turned out it, it turned out Hitler went to Argentina, and the whole fucking world <laughs> went mental. 
So why can't I read the rest of this foreign affairs? Thing? Because it's down to their discretion. What I think. Yeah, but what like... are they hiding? I don't know, but they already saw also, how big the backlash was for MK Ultra, and they're thinking, "Fucking hell! If we tell them Jonestown's part of that too, we're fucked." But also, JFK was before this, wasn't it? Yeah, but JFK's irrelevant. JFK's separate. No, 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 no. What I'm saying is, so JFK was before this, and those reports have not long been released. So in the next ten years or so, they'll have to release these reports legally. Yeah, that was why they had to legally report the JFK assassination things, wasn't it? Because it yeah, because Trump time. was going to try and stop it, wasn't was he? It? But he, he didn't have so, the power. Yeah, yeah. So in the next, I don't know when they were released, like in the past couple of years, but in the next ten years or so, they'll be released, and the world will go mental. You know what I mean? Because I'm telling you now, there's something fishy going on here. Maybe. But it could also be, like, maybe there are a lot of fuck-ups in the sense that there are a lot of warning signs beforehand to say this was going to happen. Definitely, and I also think it's it's important to remember that, actually, this happened over a very short period of time. Like, yes, he was a preacher in America, and he had, like, a cult-like following, but it was actually only when we went to Guyana that people started thinking, actually, is this a cult? Yeah. there's something not right going on here. Yeah, and I th- like they confiscated their passports and everything when they arrived. Yeah, and I think it would have been going on for a lot long. The, my logic, my logic says it would be going on for a lot longer if it was some dodgy government involvement rather than some eccentric fucking psycho. Yeah, his but cult. also a lot of like a lot of things that remain classified, are things to do with the government. Do you know what I mean? Like any fuck ups they made that they don't want people this to know. This is about. like the other argument you. Why is it classified? That que- like the question still remains there. Re- whether or not you yeah. believe in these conspiracy theories, or whether or not you want to believe that something more was going on, there is still that question of why is that classified? If I, why am I not allowed to know this information? There must be something there that they're hiding. Maybe it's like um, there were like even more like atrocities made. Do you know what yeah. I mean? Than what the main one was, and it's a sense of you the public are on a need to know basis yeah and i, d- I definitely think that they could that they just don't need to know there definitely could be more to it yeah but i guess we'll find out when it all comes out and then i'll be here ready to give you the lowdown so yeah that was jonestown hope you enjoyed so next week we're what are we doing next week uh the week waco yeah is it waco or waco waco now this is one that I genuinely have no idea. I've no, I like I know of it, but I've never learnt about it. I don't know the details. So yeah, very interested to learn about that. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. yeah. Um, we hope you enjoyed our first cult episode. I was very excited to film this. Follow us on social media, on Instagram. <laughs> I can't be asked doing any of hype. The hype girl. I got it. We've got like 50 followers. That's a lot. Do you think? I want more. Yeah, we it's... want to be famous. I want. Can help us quit our jobs yes. and do only this. We, we'll upload three times a week if we need to. I promise I'll get better at reading out loud. I will buy an official sound booth. Oh, that is I won't a have commitment. to sit in my cupboard. That is a commitment. <laughs> So yeah, at everything with the girls. Come on, follow us, like everything, review us on Apple Podcasts. Let us know what you think. What I will post though is ridiculous conspiracy theories. Like, have you seen? Have you seen that Wayfair a bloody? Oh yeah, bloody bloody (laughs) human. They're bloody trafficking children. Well, Wayfair through their cupboards. I read. Well, yeah, but. You, if you're, if you actually give a shit, you probably don't. I'm just rambling on now. But if you actually give a shit, you can look into it. There's a lot going on mm-hmm. about it now. But essentially, Wayfair are selling these cupboards and chests of drawers for like thousands of pounds, and in the name, it has like children's names of children that have gone missing. Yeah. It's actually really interesting to. And it's not like actually... it's not a justified amount either. There's like a cushion for ten thousand pounds there. Like yeah, and, and it's like their it's like Alea. Alea cushion, and then some girl called Alea has been missing. Yeah, 
But like, I think um, with Wayfair as well, it doesn't necessarily have to be them to put it up. You know what I mean? It's like a little bit like eBay. You can just make an account and upload it. I'm not too sure, but I think that's how it works. Oh, spell down. Maybe I'm not sure. What's, what I read? I read the other day on Reddit, my very reliable source, that Wayfair. As soon as this came out, like within an hour, Wayfair did quote finger quotes their own investigation <laughs> and they found it to be completely fake news Ooh, what so a surprise they investigated themselves and it's not real so everyone can calm down now it is very scary to think that that actually could be true but i think like everything in this child trafficking pedophile ring that is emerging no one's going to talk about it unless me and you are talking about it and it's on reddit and like yeah People are talk- no one else is talking about it. No one's talking about Ghislaine Maxwell. No one cares about her. Mm. Like, it's not a big deal. Mm. Suddenly, ev- suddenly, all the celebrities are quiet. Suddenly, yeah. no one knew her. No one really knows what's going on. I just think it's very interesting. We're going to see how it all pans out. Yeah. I think we need to start posting more on Instagram as well, not just, like, what's coming up this week. Like, theories like this. Definitely. Open, I definitely up, open up the conversation a little bit. Yeah, if you want me to, then I will. And on that note. Okay. Bye. Bye.